Look around for a second. Do what I'm doing. Just look at all the different faces here. How did this many different sort of folks ever end up in one place at one time? Yeah, right? This is, this is an unusual sort of thing that no matter what age, no matter what gender, no matter what race, no matter what background, no matter what baggage, no matter what talents, Jesus is this beautiful equalizer. We'll all come together and just see each other as peers. Different roles, maybe, but just peers, just brothers and sisters. I know that I've been introduced to so many different types of people than I ever would have met on my own through being a part of a local body of Christ. I think of that for our kids, you know? They're running around and thinking that this is normal, that people from different political viewpoints would all hang out together that people with different religious backgrounds would all come together, that people of all different personalities, usually we group like and like. We find people that are similar to us, that like the same kind of music that we do or the same kind of hobbies, we like to golf together, whatever. we just join ourselves by things that are similar. A church is meant to be diverse, and that's a beautiful thing. It's kind of a rare thing, and it's almost the point of the underlying point of everything that I want to talk about today. We're better together. Diversely, differently, eccentrically together. We're better together. I think this is by design. I think this is the way it's supposed to be. So when I see our little collection of people here, myself included, I feel like this is what God wants for us. We are better together. The sermon today and next week are both talking about community. This week, I would like to build from Scripture, just by reading what the Bible has to say in several different places, what I'd like to call a theology of community. We know that theology means the study of God, right? The study of God. So our purpose is try to figure out, is there a God out there? And if there is, what's he like? And if he is out there and he's this certain way, what does that mean for me? Because the existence of a God that can create an entire universe is certainly going to mean something for me. And so I'd like to talk about what that theology is. Just read from the Bible. People that have had experiences with God things that scripture teaches us about God, and think about what that means for us this morning. And the basic metaphor that I would like to use for the whole thing is that the opposite of together, you know, coming together like this, as friends, could be in your local you know, family, it could be here at church, but the opposite of coming together, I don't think is being apart. That feels like what the opposite should be. But I think the opposite of together is actually broken. I think we're meant to be together. And so when we're not together, when we're apart, we're not just apart, we're actually not the way we're supposed to be. We're not the way we've been designed to be. We're not the way God is. God is together. He's a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's one within himself. He calls the church to be a body. When he sent his son, Jesus didn't just do everything on his own. He gathered together his disciples Together is the design. Creation, seasons, everything. Look at it however you want. We're going to look at some of these scriptures. Together is design. So apart is not the way it's meant to be. 
part is actually lacking. I think a part is broken. We're, we're social creatures, right? We're, we're social animals. <laughs> we have ways that we relate to one another. If you think about your lives right now, some of the biggest problems you have are probably people problems. But if people don't matter, if together doesn't matter, then why is a person your problem? Just move on. Except we're social. We're meant to be knit together. And so the places where there's problems with people, things break. We don't just separate and feel great about it. We break. But if people are our problem, then also people are part of the solution, part of God's design. We are better together. And in our day and age, uh, so many things compete for our time that pull us apart. We might just settle for that. Like, well, we're apart, you know. But what if a part is actually broken? What if a part is lacking? What if a part is not the way we're meant to be? What if the things that are happening in our lives are happening because we're apart and not together? What if together is something worth fighting for? What if together is actually the solution to many of the things that feel broken in our lives? So think with me as we read this scripture, all these scriptures together. We're going to start very beginning, page one, chapter one, book one, verse one, Genesis 1-1. And let's build a theology together of community. See how it relates to God himself. See how it relates to us. And at the end, I'm going to have us break up into groups as we do sometimes. And I've got a couple of discussion questions here. I'd like to wrestle with, if this is who God is, right? Study of God, theology. And if this is the way he's meant things to be, his design, well, then what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? What does community look like in a marriage? What does community look like in a church? What does community look like parents to children, peers to peers? This is a foundational concept that we need and actually that we need to fight for. We're going to be pulled apart in a million directions. We need to fight for this. Okay, in the first three verses, we see the Trinity at work. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, the word said, let there be light, and there was light. So you have the Father in the beginning, you have the Spirit entering into creation, you have the word of God, which is in Greek, the logos, that's Jesus. He says, I am the word, I am the light. The word of God comes and speaks things into existence. You have God in his triune nature. So God does some work of creation. Flip over. To verse 26, same chapter, Genesis 1, 26. So the very first thing, we see God, we see the Spirit, we see the Word. And then in verse 26, after God has created everything, then God said, let us, plural, us, make man in our, plural, our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, livestock, over the earth, every creeping thing. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image, like him. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So male is the image of God. Female is the image of God. Male and female together. And all humans reflect the us-ness 
of God. God is triune. It means he has these different facets of himself, these different persons, these different natures, these different elements, Father, Son, and Spirit. You see it from the very first verse. And then as he's creating man, he's saying, this community that I have within myself, I want it to be reflected in genders. And I want it to be reflected in mankind. The togetherness is part of the design. Now, we can, even, we can put a little footnote on this here, that this isn't a post-Christian reading back into ancient Hebrew scriptures and reinterpreting it. It's not like saying, well, now that we know that there's Father, Son, and Spirit, we saw how Jesus manifests himself, now we'll go back to the beginning and say that God is somehow plural, somehow a divine community. Because if you look at the words that I paused on in verse 26, us and our, those are plural words. And even the word for God in that moment in Hebrew, is Elohim. It's a plural word. We've talked about this here at New Hope, but if you haven't heard that, please recognize that. God is a plural being. If God is everywhere, he can't just be in one spot. God himself is in community. God himself has a plural, how would I say it, nature. He is one God. And how definitive is the Hebrew Bible on there being only one God? It's built into the Shema. It's built into the Ten Commandments. It's built into every country who they fought, who worshipped many gods when there was only one true God. It's built into idolatry and the practice. Like, there's clearly no permission granted in the Old Testament for gods. And yet the name of God itself is plural because God is everywhere. God is all-knowing. God himself is Father, Son, Spirit. And we see it right from the beginning. Okay, so this is how God describes himself. It's how he speaks about himself. It's also how he made man and woman, community, relationship in his image. We're staying in creation here. And we're going to go to chapter 2, verse 18. Just probably the next page in your Bibles. Flip right over. Genesis 2, 18. So there's six days of creation, right? Then the seventh day, God rests. It's the Sabbath day that's meant to be a principle that we follow. The Jews followed it strategically and literally. I think post-Christ, it seems like Jesus gives flexibility about how that Sabbath is observed. But resting in Christ, a cycle of work and rest, this is how God has made creation. It's how he's made people. But on this sixth day, up to the point where God creates man, and even after that, before he creates woman, Everything is just all good all the time. You can look back and see all the way through, you know, all of chapter one. God made light and God saw that light was good. Um, God made seas. God saw that the seas were good. God saw that it was good. The vegetation, it was good. It was good. The birds, the fish, the animals, just everything is good. There's only one thing in all of creation that God says is not good. And we see it here in chapter two, verse 18. It's the only time, it's the only thing he says that is not good. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. So I will make a helper fit for him. This human that he made was not good that he was alone. Alone is not just apart. Oh, okay, we could be together or we could be apart. No, alone was missing something. Alone was lacking something. 
And so God made male and female to reflect God's community, to put us into community is not good for man to be alone. All right, so we're just collecting now at this point. We're just collecting all these scriptures. We're building a theology. So flip over to Genesis chapter 11. So we have creation. Nope, Genesis chapter 12, 12 verse 1. We have creation built upon this principle of community, upon relationship. We have God himself being described in this plural way, a community of himself, We have male and female being built for together, so a part is actually against the design, different from the design. What about the call of Father Abraham? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is the beginning of all the work that God is about to do in the Jewish people, which will lead up to Jesus, which is the beginning of all the work that God's going to do, bringing all the nations in. How does God call Abram? Genesis 12, verse 1, God says it this way. So the Lord said to Abram, Go now from your country and your family and your father's house, to the land I will show you. So sever ties with the community that you are in. He's about to make Abraham, soon Abraham, now Abram, he's about to make Abram holy, set apart, anointed for a task. And the first step in that is cutting the cords with his earthly community for God to build another one from his family. So go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God says, I'm going to build a nation out of your family. Now, we know ultimately we get 12 sons, right? Jacob's, Israel's 12 sons, 12 tribes. You have the whole 12 tribes of Israel. God built a community for his name. That travels all the way through the whole Old Testament, all the way up to Jesus. So Jesus kind of has an opportunity to reset things, right? He's God incarnate. He could describe a different way. He could give us something more or a better revelation. He could could go past all that. His message could have been, you know what? God made each of us self-sufficient and self-standing and distinct and unique and powerful. So stand on your own with the Lord. And instead, all that Jesus does is just gather people together and says, we are better together. We are meant to be together. And so he moves from 12 tribes of Israel, yes, to 12 disciples that will reach out to all the nations. The early church, the church in Corinth, the group of Christians. The church in Ephesus, the group of Christians together. All these churches, Philippi, all of our New Testament letters are written to groups and gatherings of believers because we're meant to be together. Flip into the wisdom literature, and then we'll flip to one more in the New Testament, and we'll, we'll let that speak for itself. Um, we're going to Ecclesiastes. So it's right kind of in the middle of your Bible. Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, chapter 4. So we know Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. We know that he's seated within this Jewish tradition. He's part of the people of God, the nation of Israel. 
He's in community. He has a role of teacher and leader. He's known as the teacher. The book of Proverbs is a collection of so much of his wisdom. Ecclesiastes is like the big picture. What's life really all about? What's the meaning of life? And a lot of it, he says, is just you know, chasing your tail. A lot of life is chasing your tail. So what really matters? Well, he points out throughout all of these observations what really matters. And this is one of those places where he points out what really matters. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 7. Solomon says, again, I saw there was vanity under the sun. That means everything's meaningless. That means this is a pointless thing. It's under the sun means sort of like anywhere on earth, within mankind, this is a truth that he's observing. All right? I saw this vanity, this craziness. There was one person, and they had no other. Literally there in the Hebrew, it means they had no second. There was a first, but there was no second. No one alongside. Neither a son, no offspring, or brother, no family. Yet, he's working so hard all the time. There's no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So that he never asks, who am I actually doing all this work for? Why am I just depriving myself of just rest, relaxation, enjoying life? Why am I doing all? Who am I doing it for? This is meaningless. This is vanity. And it's unhappy. Because, and here is his conclusion, two are better than one. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their work. If one falls, the other one has someone to lift up his fellow. But woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Now, if two lie down together, they can keep warm, safety, security, warmth. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. Meaning if you're attacked... (laughs) and you might survive on your own, you will survive if someone stands with you. And then this famous, famous line from Scripture, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You got one, you got two, two people, one God, (laughs) threefold cord, a braided rope, three strands, super strong. It is not good for us to be alone, and yet that is what we do. And we intentionally do it because things are broken. When I asked us to share before what things are going on in our lives, we shared some things, and I hope that you're even just very sincere and transparent. But isn't it hard to be real with someone, even when you're being asked a direct question like, how are you, and things are not good? We hide. We lock it away. We keep it simple. We keep it generic. Someone offends us and we just go to another church. We avoid. We go apart. We have a problem with God. We think it's not fair, something that happened in our life. And so we walk away from God. But away isn't just apart. It's not just distant. There's something broken in that. And if we're broken apart from God, it's going to take God to put us back together again. If we're broken from people in some way, it's going to take people in some way to mend that. I'm famous for this in my own head. 
spinning my wheels, thinking that if I just think more about something, that I'll find the answer for it. The answers are not in our own heads. <laughs> the answers are in God and in community. When I first became pastor here, we did a Bible study. It was a Bible study, yes, but it was focused on the book by Bonhoeffer called Life Together. And he has this wonderful statement about community, many of them actually in that book. But one of them says, sin desires to have people on their own, where in their isolation it can destroy them. So therefore, community and confession are the breakthrough to freedom. And that's what happens. We get locked away. We get locked away. Instead of coming back together, we find ourselves apart and we settle for it. I'm busy. I'm here. I'm there. I have this going on. I have this. It's too hard. It's too much work. It won't work. It can't work. Except that if that's what we've been built for, then it's never going to be okay unless it gets okay. We are meant to be together. Let's read the scripture that's actually on the wall behind me here. The culmination of all of this. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As you know, I've been putting together these little mini video segments, little clips, you know, 15 minutes or so, uh, each with a thought about vision for church. As I'm trying to seek, what does the Bible say about church? What does it mean for us? How can God lead us forward into where he's taking us? These thoughts have been hugely important for me, and I have one that I've put together um, on togetherness as a concept and as a key component of the church. Probably going to be putting it out this week or maybe next week. But it focuses on the body of Christ and I feel like we can't talk about it enough. We can't be reminded enough that we are parts of a body. So there's lots of implications that go with it. I encourage you to watch that when you, or listen to that on a podcast if you have a few minutes at some point in the next couple of weeks to keep digging into this thought. But just read with me one verse to help make this point. You know, scratching the, the, just the surface. Verse 20 leads into it well. Let's include that. As it is, there are many parts. That's all of us. Yet there's one body, the body of Christ, Christians, right? As it is, many parts, yet one body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We actually desperately need each other. Our weakness will be when we are apart. Where do you think that you're going to be safer and more secure if you're struggling with lust? When you're together with a friend or alone at night with your computer? Right? Enough said. When do we think we're going to be stronger? When we're here or in a small group with Christians or at home at night with a bottle of wine? We cannot say that we do not need each other. If so, you are denying the fact that Jesus has told us we need to be together. You are denying the fact that the human species has been built to be in relationship. And you're denying the fact that God himself is a relational being that desires relationship with you. 
If our relationship with God is broken and we die, then we see him face to face and have a judgment encounter with him. And he's like, you're not with me. And he's not like, oh, you're just in another good place. I like where you're at. I'm over here. You're over here. He's like, no, only where I am, where God is holy, is acceptable. So if you're not with me, we're not just apart. If you're not with me, you're broken. You're away from me. You're distant. You're disconnected. That's going to be our judgment. What if we think about our relationships within our family, within our church families, with our children? What does together look like? Each of us has different challenges. Some of us are retired, have more time. Some of us have young babies, not even sleeping during the night. Like, there's all different places, different jobs. Some jobs are teachers, so you have summers off. Some jobs are 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and no time off. But if we're meant to be together, if it's better to be together, then we need to start valuing togetherness as something that will define the satisfaction and the effectiveness of our entire lives. So then you have to decide, well, which together is going to help that happen the best? Many of us have friends, you know, circles of friends from high school or college, you know, community, not necessarily believers, maybe some are, maybe some aren't, but just social networks. We enjoy going out, having meals together, going getting some drinks, getting the kids together, whatever the occasions are. Do those circle of friends draw you closer to God or draw you further apart? Do you draw that circle of friends closer to God or further apart? See, we need to take it past just community and saying human beings are social creatures to saying, what kind of community do we need? What kind of community will influence us to become more like Christ? Which community should we be in? And as I've shared with you over these last you know, nine months, whatever it's been, I've just been talking about church, it just keeps reasserting itself in my mind that if the only community that we have with believers who are the ones who have the Holy Spirit inside us that can spark us and inspire us and feed us and pray, if that only happens here on a Sunday morning, then think back to that sharing time earlier. As deep as you're willing to get in that very sort of public, quick moment, that's as deep as you're going to get ever. Right? That's not the body in its fullness. We're supposed to be knit together, growing together, going deep together, bonded together. And so this challenge to better together is for us to think about what does community look like? And not just say, well, I go to church on Sundays, but who are the people that week in and week out that you're dialoguing about faith with? What are the people in social circles that you're invested in? Are they drawing you closer to the holy God that will make us holy, or are they drawing us further apart? Are we in any community? Maybe we're not. We have the possibility to spend time on our phone and on our computer and alone in our cubicle at work and alone in our house watching our own shows. And, you know, 10 houses along the street could all be watching the same show, <laughs> on their own TVs and experience no community. 
and yet then think like, oh yeah, I talked with this person at work about this, as if like living on our own is somehow going to bring us together. We need to be together. And we need to prioritize together because we're better together. We're better together.